Hello, I'm Dwayne Peters with the Lupus Foundation of America, which is the founder and owner of the open access journal Lupus Science and Medicine that is produced by BMJ. On this podcast, we will be speaking with Professor Ronald von Vollenhoven, the co-editor-in-chief of Lupus Science and Medicine. Professor von Vollenhoven is chair of the Department of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers and director of the Amsterdam Rheumatology and Immunology Center, ARC, in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Our topic today is the wrap-up of the 10th annual meeting of the Lupus Academy. Professor von Bollenhoven is a member of the Academy's steering committee, and he is with us to highlight some of the topics and discussions from this year's annual meeting. Professor van Vollenhoven, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here, Dwayne. Let's begin by sharing your overall observations about the Academy program this year. How did it go? Well, as you pointed out, Wayne, this was the 10th uh, anniversary meeting of the Lupus Academy. And I think we had a very successful and very positive meeting experience on this occasion being digital, being completely online, which is actually the second time we have had to do this because of the COVID pandemic. Now, if you ask me my honest opinion, I would have preferred to have a live meeting where we can see each other in the eyes, where we can talk with one another, where we can you know, have a cup of coffee together. And that is missing. But on the other hand, this gave us an opportunity to be in contact with many more colleagues than would otherwise have been possible from all over the world. So we had 1,800 attendees at some point. And that is, of course, a very, very large number, much bigger than we could have in the live setting. So it does work. And I think that now that we've been getting used to the digital technology aspects, we have also been able to create it in a really good flow and a nice meeting. So it, it was a good experience despite the limitations. What also really helped, I think, was that we had this very great mix of different kinds of programs because, you know, this is educational. So we want to give people the basic about lupus and how to deal with the lupus patients, how to evaluate them, and then how to treat them and improve their future. But then also novel things, research accomplishments, exciting things happening in the therapeutic area, and also a variation in the format with some workshops and also a very exciting debate. Well, along those lines then, which sessions generated the most attention and discussion? And why do you feel those sessions were so popular? Oh, you know, it's really hard to make a choice because here I have, of course, my own bias. And then also we're still in the process of evaluating and getting feedback from all of these attendees. But I think that there were different ways that you could approach it. So what was very popular in previous years and also this year was working very well were the workshops where a very specific topic in the management of lupus patients is discussed by experts and the participants can also be part of the discussion. So, for example, a workshop on, say, cutaneous lupus, how do you treat it? And then also a workshop about cardiovascular aspects of lupus or pregnancy-related aspects. But these workshops are very useful for the clinician, you know, for the healthcare professional who is actually going to have to go back to work and take care of some of these patients. And that was one thing, and that was always very popular, and I think this time too. But then, of course, there is also a lot of excitement about new things, about new treatments that have recently been approved. And this is a unique year for lupus already, because there have been two new drugs approved for the treatment of lupus nephritis, belimumab, which which of course has been available for treating lupus in general, but has now had the specific 
specific approval in the United States for lupus nephritis and approval in Europe is around the corner with a positive CHMP opinion. And voclosporin, which is a completely new drug that's approved for lupus nephritis in the United States, it is in the family of the calcineurin inhibitors, which is also cyclosporin and tacrolimus. But it has some unique characteristics and was shown to be very effective in clinical trials. So there's a lot of excitement having two new drugs, which is a luxury that we haven't often had in lupus. And there is, in addition to that, the excitement about maybe additional new treatments, especially where it is concerning the interferon antagonist and afrolumab. So this was, of course, a theme that was touched upon in very many different aspects of the Lupus Academy meeting this year, some of the lectures or presentations, and also one of the key points in the debate, debate which I had the pleasure of leading. This was, I think, a real highlight because debates are, of course, always popular. Uh, the debate was about whether patients who suffer from lupus nephritis today should be treated with the new treatments that are now available. And you could argue that, yes, of course, because they are new treatments and they are effective, otherwise they would not have been approved, so let's use them. Or you could say, well, not so fast. We have existing drugs that are also sometimes effective, and we could use those first. And the new treatments we have to maybe keep in reserve for the patients who have the most severe disease. So these two are the opposing viewpoints, and I think most clinicians would be somewhere in between. But for the debate, we had the two viewpoints being expressed very explicitly by experts in the field. Professor Dimitrios Bumpas, who of course is a highly accomplished researcher and clinician, has led many of the trials that have established the role of cyclophosphamide for lupus nephritis. And his position was the more conservative position that you should still use the existing drugs first and then maybe keep the new drugs for the more refractory patients. And then the other position was taken by Dr. Anno Teng from Leiden in the Netherlands. And he said, no, no, now we have two new treatments, let's use them because the trials show that they're very effective. It was a very exciting debate, and I think it was not so much that we think that people take an extreme position in real life, but that we thought it was so good to hear these two positions articulated and supported by data. And I think most of us will end up being a little bit in the middle on this, but with new information and new insights. As there frequently are in other medical meetings, there were posters as part of the Lupus Academy this year. Can you discuss some of the posters and how that format worked, doing it digitally online? Yeah, so that's actually good that you asked that question, Dwayne, because that was not always a part of the Lupus Academy. But last year, we started by inviting people to also submit abstracts with data from recent research or recent observations. And we received quite a good response to that with dozens of posters having been submitted or abstracts having been submitted, I should say. And these abstracts are published in Lupus Science and Medicine once they have, of course, been screened by reviewers. And then there is also a selection for posters that are presented at the meeting itself in short oral presentations. And there were five that were selected and they all represented very interesting new findings, all of a very different nature. So there was one poster that was giving some information on the patients that have a juvenile lupus, so the children with lupus, always of course a very big concern. And Dr. Chiara de Mutis presented that you could actually use different definitions of remission to establish when the child is doing really well. And it's important to find the right definition also because it will make it possible for you to gauge the success of your treatments. And then there was another poster of a completely different nature where Peter Korsten, an investigator from Germany, showed that if you have a patient with lupus nephritis and you get a biopsy, which is of course necessary in most cases to make the diagnosis, 
it actually is important to pay attention to the interstitium, which is the tissues in between the glomeruli, which are in standard valuations are sometimes overlooked. And uh, his work pointed out how important it is to actually do pay attention to the interstitium. And then there was a very interesting poster presentation from Saudi Arabia by Dr. Lujain Akbar, who showed that they had identified children with lupus, but where it was completely genetically determined. We know that lupus is a disease that is not completely genetic, but it runs a little bit in families. So sometimes there's a relative who also has it, or maybe a different autoimmune disease. And there are lots of genes that increase the risk for lupus. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What we're talking about here is somebody where the disease is completely determined by one gene, by one deficiency that is caused by a mutation in a gene. And that was actually described by our colleague. And it's, of course, very, very rare, but it provides some clues as to the cause of lupus. So that is why it's also very important. Then there was a very interesting poster presentation from Dr. Lucia Martin Gutierrez from the United Kingdom. And uh, what she presented was that if you looked at the immunology in patients with lupus, you can find that it's sometimes very, very similar between two patients and sometimes very different. It does seem that lupus is not really one disease really, but actually different processes can lead to this same disease. And she identified specifically two different of these so-called immunophenotypes. And they were quite distinct. And what was even more interesting is that she could find those same in a different disease in Sjogren's syndrome. So that you could say that lupus and Sjogren's syndrome are maybe two sides of the same coin, but actually you could say it's two sides of two separate coins. And so the clinical distinction into these two entities is one thing, and then what's behind it is another thing. And I asked the question of her, if not now, then maybe in the future, at some point, we'll start redefining these diseases based on the process, what is really happening in the immune system. But that's something for the future. We don't know that. But that was very interesting work, I thought. And the last poster that was presented was presented by Dr. George Robinson from the United Kingdom and dealt with how you can identify the reasons for very significant disturbances in the lipids in kids with lupus. And that's actually very clinically relevant because kids with lupus have, of course, very sad and difficult thing that they deal with this chronic disease already at such a young age. But in addition, they also have a risk for developing cardiovascular disease at a young age. And this investigation that was presented provides some clues as to how that happens. So I thought that was very interesting. And these five posters that I now reviewed were all selected from a much larger group. So they were already at the top. But then we actually also selected the one that was the absolutely best that the jury had to select. It was very difficult because they were all so good. But in fact, the last one that I mentioned by Dr. Robinson was chosen as the poster winner. And I can tell you that the, all the poster presenters received the certificate and the complimentary registration for the next Lupus Academy, which hopefully will be a live meeting again. But Dr. Robinson then also received the free submission to Lupus Science and Medicine publication and that was made possible by Lupus Science and Medicine. So I was very pleased that we could give that to such a good scientist. Well, it sounds like there was a lot of very interesting information presented. What do you believe was the biggest takeaway from this year's sessions? Well, from the overall Lupus Academy 2021, I would have to say that the biggest uh, takeaway is the excitement about new therapies emerging for lupus. And that is not just in theory, not just looking to the future, but in fact, with two newly approved treatments for lupus and very likely a third one on its way. So uh, that excitement is hard to describe here, but that is very, very palpable. For people who were not able to participate in the live sessions, 
explain how they can still take advantage of the programs and information that were presented. So the Lupus Academy is actually available online. So you just go to lupus-academy.org and then you can see all the information and it's free. You know, the Lupus Academy provides this educational meeting for free. That was true for live meetings, but then of course you still have the cost and also the practical aspects, but now uh, it's online. So you can just sign up and you can listen to all the presentations. You can listen in on the question and answer sessions. Of course, you cannot participate, but that's the only disadvantage. Otherwise, it's still all available. Okay, so what programs are up next for the Lupus Academy? And can you give us some information about next year's Lupus Academy annual meeting? Yeah, so in 2022, there will be a Lupus Academy meeting again, and it is now scheduled that it will be in Florence, Italy, and that is under the assumption that COVID will finally be a thing of the past, which of course we very much hope for. And I think there are now also reasons to believe that's the way it's going to be. So Florence is the place to be. I'm very much looking forward to going there. Professor Andrea Doria from the University in Padua will actually take the lead there as well, which he already did for the current session. And he is, of course, highly accomplished and one of the founding members uh, together with several others and myself of the Lupus Academy. Your final thoughts to wrap up our discussion on the Lupus Academy annual meeting? Well, I appreciated the opportunity to look back on this meeting. Lupus Academy has really become a little bit of an institute in lupus education with the annual meeting that uh, we've now talked about. But also, I should mention there are some other things happening. The Lupus Academy does have the satellite meetings that are smaller meetings that are targeting more the local or regional audiences in various parts of the world. Lupus Academy also has a certain partnership with the ULAR, the European organization, in their educational program, the School of Rheumatology. And then, of course, I'm very excited about the great partnership between the Lupus Academy and Lupus Science and Medicine. As I already mentioned, the abstracts of this meeting are published in Lupus Science and Medicine. Lupus Science and Medicine made it also possible to have a poster prize. And there is also, of course, very much overlapping and complementary content, because as I already mentioned, Lupus Science and Medicine publishes the abstract, but Lupus Science and Medicine tries to publish all that is new and exciting about lupus. And the Lupus Academy wants to report it out at the meeting and as, as an educational initiative. So I think these are two very well-matched partners in this endeavor to get the world to have a better understanding of lupus, better insights in lupus, the development of improvements for lupus patients, and eventually a better future for all those who are affected by this disease. Well, it sounds like a very successful meeting. Congratulations to you, Professor Van Vollenhoven, and all of the members of the Lupus Academy Steering Committee for another great annual meeting. As Professor Van Vollenhoven mentioned, you can review all of the sessions and information presented at this year's Lupus Academy annual meeting by visiting the Academy's website at lupus-academy.org. We have been speaking with Professor Ronald Van Vollenhoven, co-editor-in-chief of Lupus Science and Medicine. He is chair of the Department of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers and director of the Amsterdam Rheumatology and Immunology Center, ARC, in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. For Lupus Science and Medicine and BMJ, I'm Dwayne Peters with the Lupus Foundation of America. Thank you for listening.